Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. We give to this very famous chapter in the Bible, the love chapter. It is, as we have been learning, a stinging rebuke to the church in Corinth. Paul is describing love in terms that they are not. Every one of these terms can be found as part of a rebuke to them earlier in 1 Corinthians. And so when we look at the book of 1 Corinthians and we come to chapter 13 and we hear what love is, Paul does not define what love is. He shows us who love is by pointing us to the beauty and the perfection of Christ. Remember we have said that verses 1 to 3 in 1 Corinthians 13 tell us who the Corinthians are and verses 4 to 7 in 1 Corinthians 13 tell us who they are not. And so I'll read the entire chapter for us and then we will look just at verse 7 today. Would you stand if you're willing and able for the reading of God's word. First Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. Okay. Straight talk. Yesterday was a really hard day if you're a college football fan. <laughs> Unless you're an Oklahoma cowboy and they're the only ones who are actually smiling right now. 
Thank goodness for you because the rest of us would be in a grumpy mood. The Sooners, not so, didn't fare so well. The Aggies, uh, didn't fare so well. And uh, thank goodness for Oklahoma State. Have you ever listened to coaches in the locker room talk to their team? If you listen to Brett Venables long enough, if you watch enough of his locker room conversation with his team, Venables always has this line. He will always mention somewhere along the way in every talk, he will say intensity, passion, love, and you win the right way. If you listen to Jimbo Fisher, he always says, the coach of the Aggies, you will always say toughness, effort, discipline, pride, grit. Love, trust, and believe in each other. You'll hear in every one of his locker room talks. If you listen to Mike Gundy, every one of his locker room talks, right? Before they go out to the field, before they charge the field, he always says toughness, focus, discipline. Every time, and they leave the field. When you come to chapter, or verse 7 of chapter 13, you have four pontas in Greek, four all statements that Paul gives us in Greek. And these are, if you will, Coach Paul, after every one of the talks, he is instilling four things that he wants you to embody and to believe. And if you're going to make love true in your life, if you're going to actually live out this call of love by looking to Jesus, who is the perfect embodiment of love, then there are four all statements, four pontas in Greek. Literally in Greek, it's panta stege, panta pistue, panta elpaise, and panta hupomene. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If Coach Paul were here and he were to prepare us for the week, he might say, bear trust, confidence, and grit, Trinity. That's who you are. Go do it. These are the four statements. And so I just want to take a morning together and just look just at verse 7 and these four all statements, the famous pontas of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so let's look together. First, pontastege, love bears all things. Now, stego in Greek means to cover or to protect. It means to bear with someone. Um, some, of your, some of your Bibles may say, if you have the NIV, protect. Love protects all things. What does that mean? Paul is saying that love covers up. He uses an ancient Greek word that refers to a roof or a covering over a house. Love shelters other people. That's what he's trying to say. To bear something means that you cover, you shelter. He says it earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says that love bears, it endures with others. He says in verse uh, 12 of chapter 9, If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we've not made use of this right, but we endure anything. In other words, we endure inconvenience for the sake of the whole, of loving them. Rather than put an obstacle in your way, or in the way of the gospel of Christ. Or Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, same word, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. We were willing to suffer for you. In 1 Corinthians 3, 5, he continues, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Have any of you ever taken a couch upstairs? 
Like, you know how ripe a recipe that is for somebody bickering about somebody not carrying their load, right? You know what it's like. So when you carry a couch upstairs, at some point the weight of that couch shifts to the poor soul who's on the bottom. And the poor soul on the bottom says, come on, I can't do this by myself. Bull! And you get the couch eventually up the stairs. That's the image that Paul is saying. It bears all things together. It carries mutual weight together. And if Paul were preaching 1 Corinthians 13, not to a, a city in a little four-mile isthmus in the middle of Greece that connects southern and northern Greece together, but if he was preaching it to Tulsa, Oklahoma in 2022 to this church, what would he say? Bear all things. And it's remarkable, even this morning, the way that we've bared all things. I mentioned earlier, I got a call this morning at like 6 o'clock from Justin, who, our operations director, who had gotten a call from the police because somebody had uh, vandalized things out at the land. And he is there now, bearing the burden of representing the church to care for those things. And because he did that, we needed people to step in to do the slides and the video, and they did. And when, when T.J. Warren got ill uh, uh, last week, Nathan Weber stepped in gladly to, to lead worship. And then today, Will steps in to lead worship. Like, we are bearing all things together. Somebody this morning drove to get the coffee for church because the person who was supposed to get it wasn't available, and they, they bore it together. Like, it was beautiful. And a lot of you in your community groups are bearing things together. Like you are bearing the weight of praying for children who aren't walking with the Lord. You are bearing the weight of loving those who have lost their spouses to death. You are bearing the weight of welcoming people who are new to Tulsa, who are disoriented and trying to figure out their way and their new rhythm of life. And you're bearing their weight together. And I just want to say thank you. You're protecting, you're sheltering, you're bearing all things together. And the word all here is referring to the context of what the Corinthians would have been experiencing then. You bear all things, and in that context, it was an incredibly divisive, incredibly divided church. They were, you know, remember the rich were coming to the Lord's Supper early because they could get off work early, and they were, they were drinking all the communion wine. So by the time the day laborers showed up to church, all the food was gone. They enjoyed their caviar and their nice, you know, their nice Merlot. And then, wait a minute, there's nothing here for us. And people began to look down their nose at people because they followed certain, you know, the, the Apollo podcast or the, pa, the Paul podcast or the Jesus podcast. And they, they, they were divided based upon all these things. And Paul says to them, brothers, love bears all things. And Trinity, you are doing that in a beautiful way. And I just want to say thank you. And people want to be part of a church that doesn't think less of themselves. They just don't think about themselves as much. They think about themselves less. And they serve others. And you're doing that. Thank you. I was in Atlanta this week for um, the administrative committee of the PCA where all the coordinators and the, uh, the presidents of the, you know, the seminary and the colleges and some of us who chair their committees were in a room and we were just talking about the state of the PCA and um, 
you know, uh, occasionally people will say, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I enjoy my church, I serve it faithfully, and how about you, Blake? And it is, it is a joy for me to say, if I wasn't the pastor of the church I serve, I would go to that church. Because the people are friends and I love them. And they are good for me. Because the only person that we're overly, as we should be, impressed by here is Jesus. And we're trying to make much of him. And they bear my burdens. They know my liabilities. They know when I go long when I preach. They know my family. And they love us. And I pray that that's true of you. And I pray that you can say the same. What an opportunity we have, friends, to step into a culture and a time in life where we can be a countercultural community for the common good. And we can love each other and value each other because we are made in God's image together with all of our struggles. And we can begin to bear one another's burdens as we're commanded to do. And we're able to do this. Why? Because isn't this what our Lord did? In Hebrews chapter 9, it says, And just as it was appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to what? To bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You can bear one another's burdens, and you can keep on bearing all things. Why? Because Christ has borne your sin, and he empowers us to be able to do it by his Spirit. So love bears all things. Bear trust, confidence, and grit. Bears. Secondly, love ponta pisteo. It believes all things. Pisteo means to believe, to have faith in, or to trust. You can know all about these mighty light chairs. That's the brand of the chairs you're sitting in. You can know all about them. Know where they're made. Know how long they've lasted. Know all about how they fold up. Um, and know them. But at what point do you trust them? You don't really trust the chair until at some point you pull that chair behind you and you shift your weight to sit in the chair. And that's what faith means. It means to shift your weight. You're shifting your weight onto something. And here it says you shift your weight. It believes all things. What does it mean to believe all things? To be gullible? No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you be gullible. He is saying in the context of relationships in the church, you are to assume the best about each other. In the context of relationships in the church, you are to assume the best about each other. Love always sees the best in others, one commentator writes. And this does not mean that love is gullible, but that it does not think the worst as so often the world does. It retains its faith. Love is not deceived by pretenses of any rogue, but is always ready to give the benefit of the doubt. And this young church in Corinth, O Trinity, was divided by so many things. And Paul says, assume the best. Quit, quit taking upon the perspective of, of the world and always assuming the worst about one another. They're, um, assume the best about each other. There was, in a, um, in a community group one time, uh, there was a husband and a wife who, um, uh, I, I remember the story so well because I, I sincerely believe that there are holy, righteous, 
amazing people, and then there are cat lovers. Um, that was a joke, by the way. Nobody got it, but it was a joke. There are cat lovers. There are people who love cats. I don't particularly like cats, although I do love you if you love cats. So in our community group one time, there was a husband and a wife, and, um, and this, is not, this is not me and you, I promise, but there was a husband and a wife that, uh, uh, that she wanted a cat, and he didn't. Um, and I have to say this to Lauren because we have had this conversation many times. And, and there was, at this house, um, there was a cat at the host. And, and, and the cat came up and jumped into the wife's lap. And the whole community group, she sat there next to her husband and just pet this cat. <laughs> and this husband got really offended and really upset about it. And he, and he came home and he was just like, wouldn't talk to her and was sullen and morose. And, and she was like, hey, what's wrong with you? And he goes, oh, you should know. <laughs> what are you talking about? I saw you petting that cat. <laughs> the cat jumped into my lap. Yeah, I pet the cat. No, you pet the cat because you were rubbing it in my face that I said, no, we can't have a cat. And she was like, whoa, no, I didn't. And so this couple had a good opportunity to believe all things. They believed the best about each other. And the wife had to slowly walk the husband off of the cat ledge to say, whoa, I just was petting the cat. I wasn't trying to rub it in your face. I wasn't trying to say, aha, this, this house is the better house because they have a cat. And he had to learn, huh, maybe I read that wrong. And I wonder how many times in your own family's life you have read the scene wrong. Text message comes across and you just don't respond because you read the text wrong. And they may have totally meant something different. Paul is saying to the Christians in Corinth, assume the best. And I would just say to you, brothers, assume the best. Assume that no news is good news. And assume the best of your brother or sister in Christ. Give them credit. Don't be so arrogant as to believe that only you could possibly handle the situation your way. Maybe they have an approach that's different than yours that could be just as good and maybe even better. And what is it like as a church? We don't want to have the wool pulled over our eyes. We want to understand Christian theology, but we want to assume the best. And this could be true of us as a church. It could be true of us as an entire denomination, it could be true of the entire world of evangelicalism in the, in the theological sense of that term, not the political sense. All those who have a high view of scripture, like we should assume the best about each other and quit bickering about secondary issues because we got so many other issues to deal with. And so love each other and bear all things and believe all things together and trust them. And practically speaking, let me just say, if you ever have questions about the church or the direction of this church or decisions that this church has made, we have session meetings every month and they are open for any of you to come to and attend. And the elders of this church are available and they would be glad to answer any questions you have there. We will be, we are as transparent as possible. We welcome, we in fact crave your insight. In fact, sometimes we have to pull it out of you. But we want you to believe all things in the best of senses. Are you with me? So love bears all things. Love believes all things. Thirdly, Ponta El Pezai. Love hopes 
all things. Hope means to look forward with desire and reasonable confidence that something will happen. All of us will, Dan, Daniel Fuller is a theologian uh, who says that to hope means to bank your confidence on a happy future, on blank. What do you bank your confidence for a happy future on? And don't tell me it's the stock market because this week I know you're lying. All of you have something you bank your confidence on. And as Christians, we bank our confidence on the truth of God's word and the promises that are revealed to us. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. And so let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Confidence, that is hope. We have confidence. We hope all things. We have confidence through all adversity and all things that indeed Jesus will be true to his promises. And we bank our hope on a happy future on those promises. Whatever trials and tribulations may come along the way. Bears, trusts, believes all things, confidence, hopes all things, and grit, endures all things. Christians ought to be the grittiest people the world has ever seen. And in the past, in our history, we've seen amazing displays of grit through incredible persecution and suffering. And I wonder, as I studied this text, and I read Jonathan Edwards preach on this text, who says, he said in 1738 to his church in Northampton, they who are truly gracious, that is, infused by the grace of God, have a change of nature, have a spirit for Christ's sake to undergo all sufferings for which, or to which they may be exposed in the way of their duty. I wonder how far we could go for the cause of Christ if we were called to suffer. I wonder how much Lauren and I would give if we knew that our giving was no longer tax deductible. I wonder how much we would suffer if it meant that I might be arrested every week because sermons are on YouTube. I wonder how much I might honestly be willing to, how far I would go before I would say, man, insurance sales sounds great and leave the ministry. How far would you go? Paul summed up our treatment toward our neighbor in verse 6 and then in verse 7 he turns to the most important aspect of endurance for the Christian namely grit and suffering for the cause of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5 he says to the same group of people five years later for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all and therefore all have died and he died for all that those who might live no longer live for themselves but for him for whose sake he died and was raised. Or Romans chapter 5 
verse 3 to 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For it is written, we are for your sake being killed all day long. We are like sheep to be slaughtered. No. And all these things we have confidence. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For Paul to say that we are to bear, to trust, to have confidence, and to grit, he is saying that we are to endure all things. We are to be faithful through the worst while always assuming the best about our brothers and sisters. Faithful through the worst but always assuming the best. You don't court suffering. You don't court danger. You don't flaunt yourself, but you are able to be faithful and endure through it as you assume the best about your brothers and sisters in Christ. There was an early church discussion, division, around the turn of the 5th century with a a theologian, some of you know, named Augustine. And St. Augustine uh, was listening to many of his brothers and sisters who had abandoned the faith under persecution, and they cut and ran. And you may have heard me explain this uh, controversy before in early church history, but it's called the Donatist controversy. And people begin to wonder, is my baptism legitimate because I was baptized by a wayward priest? I was baptized by a pastor who later denied the faith and ran. I, was, I received the Lord's Supper at the hand of a man who later denied Jesus, as Peter had once done. Is my baptism legitimate? Am I really a Christian? And, and people begin to say, no, your, your Christianity is dependent upon the holiness of the pastors. Those were called the Donatists. And St. Augustine, the bishop of Hippo, wrote and said, that is not true, for who of us could possibly stand if we would only be determined to be baptized based upon the holiness of the one who did the baptism or of the church that did the the baptism. It is not the holiness of the person. And in Latin, it is ex opere operato. It is not the holiness of the operator, but it is the operation of the act itself that determines whether or not you are indeed his. And the the same is true for us. We are to assume the best of one another, even if brothers and sisters around you cut and run. And we should encourage people who, because of COVID, haven't come back to church. We should encourage brothers and sisters who are still distancing themselves to say, we want to bring the church to you. We want to love you. We want you to, don't, don't be distant. Come near to us. We want to love you. We want to encourage those who had a 9 o'clock tea time this morning with this crazy beautiful weather. And to say, hey, you know what? We're not going to look down our noses because we were at church. Gosh, that's why people are running from church. We're going to love their socks off. We're going to say, hey, I'm going to meet you there at 2 o'clock. We're going to catch up. We're going to have good friendships. And I hope every person in this church is friends with somebody who once claimed to believe the gospel or once went to church very faithfully and now doesn't. I hope you know them. And I hope you indeed assume the best about them. And you invite them back. You invite them in. Because love bears all things. It trusts all things. It has confidence in all things because of Christ. And it has grit. And the hardest part of being a follower for you 
and from me. It may not be the persecution that comes from outside the church, but it's often the pettiness within. Or it's the struggle in our own heart to love others that are hard to love. Paul himself certainly knew this. He reminds us in 2 Corinthians, five times I received from the hands of Jews the forty lashes last Last one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Day and night I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Dangers from my own people. Dangers from Gentiles. Dangers in the city. Dangers in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship. And through many sleepless nights. In hunger and in thirst. Often without food and cold and exposure and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And astoundingly, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he concludes, If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. Paul was the lead scholar of Judaism and he had the corner office. Comfort. He gave all that up for the sake of Jesus. Would you? Oh, church, Paul calls us to have grit. Jonathan Edwards says that those who have grit have a spirit to suffer the greatest degrees of reproach and contempt and to have trial not only of mockings but of cruel mockings. They have a spirit to suffer losses and not only so but the loss of all things as the apostle says of himself. They have the spirit to suffer wrath and not only so but cruel and tormenting wrath. And we do well to remember our brothers and sisters who have gone before us in Hebrews chapter 11 who say they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, clothing, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. When Lauren and I were married, we had a, a wedding verse and the wedding verse, um, you know, we didn't know what the Lord had in store for us. We didn't know if, if we would have children. We didn't know if we, you know, what our life would be like. Uh, we just didn't know. So one of our wedding, one of our wedding verses was um, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. It's the strangest wedding verse maybe there is. And it, it says, though the fig tree withers and there be no fruit on the vine, and the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, and the sheep are cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. Though we live poor, though we don't have children, though all of our hopes are dashed, though our house is robbed, though our cars are stolen, though we lose everything we ever had, yet will we rejoice. We will joy in the God of our salvation. And we needed that verse because we need to reread that because we know that is not the, that is not our heart's natural default. But that's our promise that if we lose all those things, he's got us and he loves us. And that's true of you too. And the strength of our marriages, friends, is not of the circumstances that surround your marriage. It's not in the circumstances if you're single that surround your life while you're single. The strength of your marriage and of your relationships is the fact that he's got you. And he did not make a mistake with the circumstances you find yourself in right now. Bear trust, confidence, and grit. Oh, Coach Paul, he may have closed out the pregame 
rally and charge with the story of Polycarp, who you know in AD 55, was an old man, 86 years old. He was probably the last surviving person to have known an apostle. He was a disciple of the apostle John. And he was a great revered teacher in the early church in the second century. And he was arrested and he was sentenced to death in the Colosseum for the mighty crime of being a Christian. In the local proconsul, his name was Statius Quadratus. He urged him saying, swear Polycarp and I will set you free. Reproach Christ. An 86-year-old Polycarp with groans looked up to the stadium and the people there wagging their fingers and taunting him. And he said to, Quad, uh, to uh, Quadratus, 86 years I have served him and he never did me any injury. How can then I now blaspheme my king and my savior? Wild animals, I have here, the proconsul said. And I will throw you to them if you do not repent. And Polycarp says, call them. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. I will be glad to get through to be changed from evil to righteousness. If you despise the animals, I'll have you burn, Quadratus said. You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished, but you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. And guys, these are our forefathers. This is your family history. This isn't just something you read in a dusty book of the church hist history of our church. This is your story. And Coach Paul says to us, bear trust, confidence, and grit. And we see this, of course, perfectly displayed in our Savior. And where do we see this with Jesus? Well, we see it on the cross, you say. Well, yes, you see it on the cross, but where exactly do you see it? I see it the best with a question that he asks. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you not sheltered me from your wrath? And yet Jesus still trusted him. Jesus still had confidence. And Jesus still had the grit. And it's because of his finished work for you and the love that he extends to you for his work on your behalf that allows you to endure all things, to bear all things, to believe all things, to hope all things, and to endure all things for his sake together. Could we be a church like that? Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.